Our pericope of scripture this morning is the first letter of John. First epistle of John, chapter 1, and going into chapter 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we've seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. And that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. So far the reading of God's inspired word. We continue our treatment of Lord's Day 21. We have looked at questions and answers 54 and 55 two weeks ago on the church, the communion of saints. And how is that communion of saints possible? Question 56. What believest thou concerning the forgiveness of sins? Answer that God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, neither my corrupt nature, against which I have to struggle all my life long, but will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word again this morning. Let's begin with this question first as we look at this Lord's Day. Why does our instructor throw this subject of forgiveness of sins into this Lord's Day, which is really about the church. What's the connection? And it is a significant connection. Because this is the message that the church preaches. And this is the life that the church lives. We are a communion of the forgiven. Forgiveness of sins, beloved, is the heart of the gospel. For Jesus Christ is come into the world to save sinners. 
to grant them forgiveness of sins. The resurrected Christ Jesus came to his disciples who were representatives of the church. And he says to them, as my Father sent me, even so send I you. Those disciples were eyewitnesses of the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus and the necessity of it. And they were witnesses not to be silent or keep it to themselves, but to testify, to establish the truth of this fact. Yes, we preach the forgiveness of sins. We do not come with the gospel of man's innate goodness. We don't come with a social gospel, let's have a good life here on earth. And we don't come with a gospel of entertainment so that we feel good and can laugh once in a while. No, the calling of Christ's church is to preach the gospel of forgiveness. And she has the right to do that because Christ sends her. She has the ability to do so because the Holy Spirit leads her. Yes, she's given the Holy Spirit. That is what Jesus said to his disciples, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And that is also then what the apostles in their preaching, when there were those who cried out, What shall we do to be saved? Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Remember, we are here in the Apostles' Creed dealing with the confession of the Holy Spirit and his work. He is the Spirit of Christ. It is his work to apply all the benefits of Christ to you and to me, the blessings of salvation merited by Christ for all his own. And that spirit dwells within us to make us partakers of those blessings and of Christ. And it is by his word and by his spirit that Christ continues to build and to save his church. So the message of the church is the gospel. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners to grant them forgiveness of their sins. Notice with me the blessedness then of this truth of the forgiveness of sins. And there's four of them. Wasn't sure how long I was going to be around here so I'd get as much in as I could. First of all, what does God forgive? Number two, why does God forgive? Number three, how does God forgive? And then purpose, or fourthly, the purpose of God's forgiveness. What does God forgive? And you'll notice in the catechism that our instructor says there's two things. He forgives all my sins, number one. And number two, he also forgives my corrupt nature. And I'm going to keep on using that pronoun because I want each of us to take this truth to ourselves. He forgives all my sins. To the Pharisee, that means nothing. Because in his mind, he doesn't have any sins. He has only virtues. But oh, for the publican, it meant so much. He cries out, Oh God, be merciful unto me, the sinner. And Jesus says of that publican, He went home justified. We have to be in guard, beloved, that the confession that we are all sinners, it comes so smoothly from our lips and fluently that the question must really be asked, Do we really mean, in our hearts, what we're saying with our lips? Are you, am I, really distressed because of all our sins? Listen, 
listen to the Apostle Paul's distress. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Or of Martin Luther, there was one time when he could barely say anything but my sin, my sin, my sin. In other words, beloved, you and I may not remain stuck with vague generalities, but we have to take a concrete notice of our sins. We have to see them for what they are. We need to call them by name. We have to discover that we're not only much worse, that we're not only more selfish, that we're not only more proud than people think of us, but even what we think of ourselves. Not only the sins of today, but the sins of my whole life. The sins of my youth as well as the sins right now, presently. There are many bad things there, aren't they? Things that bring shame to us when we remember them and think of them. Honestly, consider what our life has been for God. Are we living for Him? Sins of our whole life Name them one by one. We have to consider what our life is to God because God's standard is the one that applies. My life has to be completely holy for Him. That means my life in my work. That means my marriage. It means my recreation. It means the friendships I form. Boys and girls, it means your studies in school. It means your obedience to your teacher. It means getting along with your fellow students. It means the very activities on the playground. Young people, that means who you date. It means what friends, what companions you have. It means you as you look for your calling or your purpose in life. For sin, one of the definitions is missing the mark. And what is that mark? That mark is to, we are to aim for the glory of God in all of our life. And the question needs to be asked then, how often have I aimed for that? How often haven't I rather aimed and lived for myself and for what I wanted? And by our selfishness, we've caused others, perhaps our spouse, our husband, or our wife, or our children, or other members of the church, great and enormous pain and sorrow. How often it is that not God's glory, but our glory, our honor. That's a question I had to go through as a pastor, weighing the decisions in this past weeks. And when we say, forgive us our sins, we have to ask, how often did I little love? How little have I meant for others? And if we allow our whole life to pass in review before our eyes, it will seem a very spoiled life, won't it? Notice the catechism says, all my sins, those that are really bad things, the things that I did, but also the things that I thought, the sinful desires that no one knows except I and God my personal, my family, my church sins, my unfaithfulness, my thoughtlessness, my lovelessness. And of course, then there are those 
quote-unquote respectable sins of slander and backbiting when we visit with one another, which the catechism says later on are the very works of the devil. Or when we're talking about our sins, what about our prayer life? Is it often neglected? Is it often half-hearted? Is it too often chock full of selfishness? And so we should probably pray each day, Lord, forgive me for my prayers or the lack thereof. Yes, we need to see our sins. And the psalmist asks, doesn't he, who can discern his errors? The older we get, the more sinful we become in our own eyes because we gradually see more things to be sin, things that we need consider because we didn't earlier consider them as sins. God wants you and me to see our sins and not walk around them. Oh, that does not mean that we stay brooding over those sins or remain stuck in that. It doesn't mean that we become desperate and despair. No, but that we will be amazed that we see each day again that we receive really a miracle that God will remember no more my sins. God cancels all those debts. He's paid it full all of our sins, not just some of them. The Roman Catholic Church taught that one is forgiven all of his sins by Jesus Christ before baptism, but after baptism, you got to pay for your sins. you got to do penance for them. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God forgives all of our sins. But now notice... Not only all of our sins, but the catechism goes on, doesn't it? He forgives also my corrupt nature against which I have to struggle all my life long. That is an important confession. Because how often don't we take our corrupt nature as almost a cloak for sin? In other words, we think it almost excuses me. We, we say, well, don't blame me because I'm only human. We think that God cannot blame us because we stumble and stumble again because our nature is the way it is. And we think, well, I can't do much to change my human nature. But rather than excusing our sins and our sinful nature, it makes it all the most worse. I need forgiveness of that also. I may not say, well, that's the way I am. No, it makes it worse. How? Now I have to say to God, not only I have sin, but Lord, I am sin. I am a sinner. I have not only evil thoughts and desires and habits, but Lord, I am evil. I am depraved. I am not good in myself. Depraved is what I am, and it's my fault and my fault alone. Lord, forgive me that I am evil. Notice it is a corrupt nature against which I have to struggle all of my life long. And again, God shows his forgiving love, doesn't he? Oh, what God puts up with you and me. Just as he put up 
with his sinful people Israel all through their wilderness wanderings. He concerns himself with me even though I am evil to the core and that to my death. Never in this life and this pilgrimage on earth will I get rid of completely my sinful nature, but out of it poisonous things come forth every day. Boys and girls, let me use this illustration. Apples or peaches on the tree, if left untreated, will be full of worms, won't they? Unedible. You and I never get rid of our sinful nature. Out of it, poisonous things come forth every day, like, like a bad field that produces weeds. And yet, God never cast his people aside, but he enfolds them in his arms and he says, My child, I forgive you everything. I forgive you that you are so evil. I forgive you that you hated me. Oh, that corrupt nature which I have to struggle against all my life because we will not get rid of that sinful nature here in this life. But that sinful nature doesn't remain the same, does it? That sinful nature does not continue to rule over us because God makes us new creatures. Yes, we retain that sinful nature, but that nature, that character now is being mortified, put to death in the service of God. (coughs) Excuse me. And that, the catechism says, is a struggle. A struggle that's got to be evident in your and in my lives. And in that fight, that struggle, there must be victories gained over that sinful nature. So that's the first point. What does God forgive all of my sins and even my corrupt nature? So second of all, Why does God forgive? God forgives us not because we are sorry for our sins. God's blessings are never dependent upon our acts or our disposition. It's not because I did this or I did that that God will take it into account and therefore bless me. Anything, any good that we do, beloved, is done because God is working in us by his word and by his spirit. So God really finds the reason for our forgiveness in himself and not in what I think or what I do or what I desire. And second of all, God does not forgive us because we have confessed our sins. It is not the case that God forgives us because we confess. Oh, confess we must, or otherwise we wither in those sins. We become hardened in those sins. Boys and girls, remember that story of David and those terrible sins that he committed of adultery and murder. And David writes, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. And he says, I will confess my transgressions. That confession of sin ought not to be vague and in generalities, but rather let us dare to mention those names to God and to ourselves by name. Particularize. Say to God, God, this is wrong in my life. Lord, this is what I just did today. Lord, this is how I failed again today. Again, I was so impatient. 
Lord, I was so unbelieving. Lord, I didn't seek thy honor but my own. Lord, I didn't have that zeal for thy kingdom as I ought. But that is not the basis of forgiveness. Why does God forgive us? And the catechism gives the only correct answer. He forgives us our sins and our corrupt nature for the sake of Christ's sacrifice. Without the cross of Christ, the forgiveness of our sins is absolutely impossible. For God's mercy never cancels out his justice. God is a judge. A judge here on earth ought not, if he is acting correctly, just to forgive a criminal and let him go. But he must administer justice. And that justice has to run its course. That means he must be punished. Remember, as Abram is looking at the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, Lord, maybe there's 50 righteous there, maybe there's 40 righteous, maybe there's 30 righteous. Finally, he comes down, Lord, there are maybe 10 righteous. And then Abram says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God's a judge. So the forgiveness of your and my sins is really a miracle. It's the miracle of the cross. It's the miracle of Christ Jesus. The catechism talks about the satisfaction of Christ. That is, he, he satisfied God's justice that sin must be punished. And so we read, don't we, boys and girls, you've learned this text John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, his cosmos, that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him to die on the cross to set you and me free from that sin and the punishment. Yes, it's only for the sake of Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus willingly came down from heaven taking your and my sins upon himself. And there he stood before his Father in heaven as a sinner. For we read, don't we, in Romans that he was made sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For the sake of Christ, Christ Jesus identified with us and all of our sins were put upon him. And that's why he had to be punished. That's why he had to die. He paid for all of our sins. And that those sins can be remitted for us. Do you see, beloved, why there's forgiveness of sins? Because Jesus Christ stood between the holy God and us sinners. And that is why John the Baptist cried out, didn't he? Behold the, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And any preacher worth his salt would continue to come to the congregation and any preaching on, the, on a mission field and say, yes. By God's grace, behold the Lamb of God. What do you think of him? He takes away the sin of the world. The sins of all God's people, those whom God has chosen in eternity and given unto Jesus Christ to be redeemed. And your and my sins are included in that. Taken away. And the punishment for our sins was borne by Jesus Christ. God forgives us for one reason. In his grace, he forgives us for the sake of Jesus Christ. And oh, beloved, he never, he never tires of forgiving us 
as often as we come in the name of Christ Jesus and we appear before him as penitents. So notice, why does God forgive us? And the reason finally is God's everlasting covenant faithfulness and mercy. He knew and he loved us in eternity and he'll never forsake us. He gave us to Jesus Christ and we are saved. If you're following your outline, that brings us to the third point. How does God forgive us? Notice, first of all, God forgives us by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the context of the catechism's instruction, isn't it? We believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, and we say, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. God the Father determined our salvation. Jesus Christ, the Son, grounds our salvation. And the Holy Spirit gives or imparts that forgiveness. Beloved, that's the main work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why this is included under that work in the Apostles' Creed. And you young people who have studied the Ordo Salutis, the Latin word for the order of salvation, which describes the work of the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He gives us new life. He calls us out of the darkness. He gives us faith and turns us in conversion. And he justifies us. So that when our conscience accuses us, when the devil accuses us, when you and I are ready to, deserve, to despise ourselves, despair because of our great sins, the Holy Spirit says, no. You are righteous in Christ Jesus. So God forgives us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Second of all, God forgives us in the church. That is also the context of the catechism instruction, isn't it? The Holy Spirit was given to the church and works in the church. Forgiveness is to those who are members of Christ's church. For Christ has only one church, isn't it? The invisible church, those who are connected to Christ by faith. And apart from membership in the church, there is no forgiveness. That forgiveness is given to the communion of saints. And those who live bitterly in or refuse altogether to forgive one another don't have that forgiveness of sins. They haven't realized it. God forgives us by the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, and God forgives us through the way of preaching. For it is in the preaching of the word that we come to know the depth of our sins and sorrow is worked in these hearts. It is in that preaching of the word. And notice here, there must be that qualification, right? It must be the preaching of the true gospel. Not the social gospel, not the good-feeling kind of gospel, but rather the true gospel that includes our great sin, salvation only in Jesus Christ, and then the lies of gratitude and obedience that flow from it. And again, beloved, notice with me this morning, that means that one cannot ignore church membership and one cannot skip hearing the word of God as it's preached without great harm to their souls. 
God forgives by the work of the Holy Spirit in the church through the preaching. God forgives in the way of repentance and faith. Yes, it's in the way of our sorrow for our sins, repenting of those sins, turning away from those sins, faith in Christ Jesus, that one experiences the joy of salvation. That's why often in my congregational prayers, you'll hear that phrase, won't you? We are sorry for their sins. We're thankful, Father, for working this genuine sorrow in our hearts. And we confess our sins. And in that way, we have the assurance of salvation. And in that assurance, wonderful joy. Joy not only in our worship, but joy in all of our life. There is no forgiveness apart from repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. As Peter would preach, the people would cry out, what must we do? And the answer is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness. And so also in our relationships then with each other. There is no forgiveness possible without godly sorrow that works repentance. God forgives in the way of repentance. You and I also forgive. And the church forgives in the way of repentance. And that's why Jesus in Acts chapter 20 says, receive the Holy Spirit And then to the leaders in the church, he says, those whom you forgive, they are forgiven in heaven, but those whose sins are retained by you, they are retained also in heaven. How does God forgive? The catechism puts it this way. God will remember those sins no more. That means, beloved, that God forgives generously, liberally, radically. God forgives unconditionally without making any exceptions. God forgives in such a way that the matter is completely settled. He does not think about those sins anymore. He does not hold those sins against us any longer. He has forgiven them and forgotten them. Now that phrase, forgotten them, is using a phrase to help us really to understand his forgiveness. Because there's not a change in God. It is not the case that God becomes forgetful. That's the, way, the human way of expressing radical forgiveness. We don't hold it against a person. We don't remember it against them. What do we read about God's forgiveness? As far as the east is removed from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Oh, boys and girls, that's a long ways, isn't it? The east keeps on going and going, and the west keeps on going and going. Our sins are completely disappearing from our sight. Or again, as we read in Scripture, as the heavens are high above the earth, So great is his mercy toward them that fear him. That means that God wipes away our sins like the morning mist disappears when the sun comes out. God has taken our sins and he has thrown them into the, behind himself, into the sea of forgetfulness. So that we, though we are red like crimson, he makes us white as snow. That means he covers those sins. He erases them from his book of remembrance. He draws a line through that debt and cancels it because it was paid in full. God will no more remember. But the reverse side is also God will remember. 
God always remembers the sins of those who are not in Christ Jesus and do not seek forgiveness at his cross. And for them the books will be opened and their consciences will speak and those consciences will be witnesses then that God's judgment is completely just. But God will remember no more. That doesn't mean, beloved, that our sins will not have consequences for us. Again, boys and girls, remember the story of David, how he had to go to the king. He must have been a little bit afraid. He has to go to the king, and so he tells a story. He points out to David when he confesses his sin that there is forgiveness, but there will also be consequences, won't there? There's going to be trouble in his family throughout his life. As we read in the scriptures, what a man sows, that also he will reap. Oh, beloved, let us remember that one hour of thoughtlessness can cause God's people to weep for years. For they bear the scars of their sins. And yeah, they often see their own sins in their children. Sin is so awful. Sin works so destructively. Blessed is he whose sins are forgiven. But yes, the consequences of them can be painful. And that's why we want to run away from sin. That's why forgiveness of sins means not only that we're sorry, but we sow that sorrow in a life that fights against that sin. The Catechism adds... God will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. God not only takes something away from us, namely the filthy rags of our wickedness, but he also grants us something. He gives to us, he imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Boys and girls, again, do you remember that parable of the prodigal son? He comes to himself, and he returns to his father, and he says, I have sinned against you. But the father forgives him, and he gives the order that a ring be placed on his fingers, and a new garment given to him. There's a great feast. He's completely restored to the relationship of a son, not a servant. Now, God doesn't give us rings, but does God, God does give us a garment, the white garment of Christ's righteousness. Restoration as a child of God. And Lord's Day 23 will explain that righteousness that God treats you and me just as if we had fulfilled all obedience because Christ has fulfilled it for us. God treats you and me, his children, as if we had been completely obedient to him all of our life, every hour that our desire of our heart was always Lo, I come, thy will to do. The restoration of a child of God. Oh, beloved, that is the gospel that the church is called to preach and to live. And that brings me to my fourth point. The purpose of this marvelous forgiveness of sins. And the catechism answers there that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God. 
because God will not remember my sins, I will never be condemned. But instead, we enter into the joy of our God. That is what makes our covenant fellowship with God possible this morning again, isn't it? In all of our life, sin has been taken out of the way and we are made righteous in Christ, speaking to our righteous Father in heaven. Covenant fellowship with God that you and I may enjoy. Not just someday when we die, but that you and I may enjoy today and tomorrow and Tuesday and all of our life. What is the purpose of this marvelous forgiveness? Jesus talks to Simon the Pharisee about the action there of Mary Magdalene. Do you remember, boys and girls, how she took with her tears washing Jesus' feet and with her hair wiping them and anointing those feet with costly ointment? What a contrast there was there between Simon the Pharisee and Mary Magdalene the sinner. And Jesus comes then to Simon and he says, He to whom much has been forgiven, they love much. So I ask you, as I ask myself this morning, do you love your God much? You see, it's only if we recognize the enormity of our sins and God's wondrous forgiveness. The Pharisee didn't. Simon had really no love for Christ. He desired no forgiveness. He thought he was doing the big thing and allowing Jesus to come to the feast. He knew nothing about the love that shows adoration of God's mercy. The church preaches the gospel of forgiveness, filling us with love for our God in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, God's forgiveness of us enables us to be the community of those who are forgiven the communion of saints. For as God has forgiven us, we are called also then to forgive one another, aren't we? We may not look down at a member of the church We may not reach out and grab them by the neck and say, pay up. As God has forgiven us so bountifully, we are called to forgive one another. Two weeks ago, we talked about the unity of the church and the holiness of the church. But so often with our physical eyes, we see the sin and the shortcomings of other members. And then we need to pray as Jesus taught us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For we are, aren't we, the community of the forgiven? Do you know that? Shame on us. Shame of us if we constantly bring up the past sins of other members or family members over and over. Bringing up those dirty rags when they have been forgiven, forgiven by God and forgiven by his church. Jesus has removed those sins We should not hold them against one another when they are confessed. We are the communion of the forgiven. And you see, that's why this particular petition is included there in the Apostles' Creed with the church. We are the community of the forgiven. That's the only way that the church can be the communion of saints. If we're going to hold grudges and sins against one another, we're going to look down at each other. We're going to have harsh words against each other. 
rather, O oh beloved, from the gospel, we behold that God has forgiven each of us personally so much, and he does that for each of his children, and that's the way that we must see one another. And that is not only the safety, forgiveness of sins of the future, but that is our blessing now in the present. We are made holy by Christ. I believe that my sins will not only be forgiven, but I believe that they are forgiven. Eternally forgiven, that is, because God saw us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Forgiven in the way of our sins confessed. We experience that forgiveness. We laid it before the Lord, just like Hezekiah laid his letter before the Lord, and there's an answer. And we show that now by our forgiveness of one another. And what ultimately is the whole purpose of the forgiveness of our sins? Is it not the honor and the glory of our God? Oh, he is merciful and righteous, isn't he? He forgives you and me in Christ Jesus, crucified. And so you and I are called to live to the glory and the honor of our God. God help us. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee that we may hear once again and each Sunday the gospel of forgiveness. For all week long we go through life struggling and fighting our sinful nature. And so many times we fail and we fall and then we come on Sunday, to rest in the work of our Lord Jesus. He died that we might live. He was made sin so that we might be made the righteous of God in him, thy people. And as we've been forgiven, O oh Lord, help us to forgive one another. Amen.